I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. That's the one whom we celebrate today on this Pentecost Sunday, the Spirit of God. We have received the Spirit. Today is kind of a bonus week in our series, The More You Know. That series that we've done thus far was rooted in the words that First John, that epistle that John wrote, called a general epistle. It was distributed to, well, the whole known church of the time. Um, but this week we're going to shift to Acts chapter 2 for Pentecost Sunday. But there are things here that we know, that we learn, and one thing that we know is that we've received the Spirit. Pentecost. Growing up in the church, I hear the word Pentecost, I automatically think of this celebration, this Sunday. But already in Jesus' day, Pentecost was already a festival. It was already an event. And it was that festival, that event, that drew all the people to Jerusalem. All those nationalities that Ron got the pleasure of reading today. The Cretans and Arabs and Phrygians and whoever else was in that list. All those people gathered because it was already an event. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy call it the Feast of Weeks. So if you're reading those parts of the Old Testament, you see the Feast of Weeks, it's the same event. It was seven weeks after Passover. Well, Passover is when the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus happened. So seven weeks after Easter for us comes Pentecost. Fifty days. It's seven weeks of grain harvest is what the original festival was about. But it was also a celebration of the giving of Torah, the giving of the law to God's people, Israel. That's what the original festival focused on. And the word Pentecost is actually from the Greek that meant 50 days. I mean, we can hear the pent in there, just like Pentagon and other penta words. Pentecost is a 50-day time period. Well, remember most, we as God's people, we in the church, we remember for Pentecost the presence of the Holy Spirit. But here's something to know. The Holy Spirit was already present. The Spirit wasn't waiting till Pentecost to make his first appearance, the grand arrival. The Spirit of God was already around. God's Spirit has always been present. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, describes the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So that's the second verse of the Bible. The Spirit is there, right? The word spirit in Hebrew is ruach. It's one of those fun words because you get to just engage your throat in that way, that, that Hebrew way. Ruach was there. The word ruach can also be translated as air, wind, or breath. The same idea carries over into the Greek language where the word for spirit is pneuma, through which we get pneumatic, Pneumonia always have that pneuma root in them. 
So the wind, the breath, the spirit has been blowing throughout time. The spirit of God is referenced in Exodus chapters 33 and 35 where the, they were filled with the spirit of God. Speaking about Bezalel, the son of Uri. And then in Numbers 11, some of the spirit that was on Moses got dispersed to these other elders. And in Balaam, in Numbers chapter 14, Balaam, the guy with the talking donkey, well before Shrek, had the Spirit of God upon him. The book of Judges talks about the Spirit of the Lord, and that's used to describe various judges along the way. And the Spirit of the Lord was with Samuel, with Saul, with David. So the Spirit of the Lord, the Ruach Yahweh, isn't waiting in the wings until he can make any appearance. The Spirit has been active. The Spirit has been doing things. The Spirit spoke, we confessed, by the prophets. So the Spirit was already active, was inspiring the word that the prophets wrote, that the prophets spoke, so that the word of God would get out there. And in Psalm 51, David's confessional psalm, David's pouring out his heart before the Lord, and he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Isaiah, Ezekiel, minor prophets, they were filled with the Spirit. So God's Spirit has always been present, but the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Something different happened here in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus promised it, you know, the Spirit's going to come. Stay in Jerusalem until the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus had promised to his disciples that something different was going to happen and the Spirit of God was going to be poured out in a new and unique way. But this is, these are words that we heard. In verse 17, Peter, who's quoting... One of the prophets, Joel, from Joel chapter 2. So Peter uses these words to describe this experience, right? Because there are people, all these people from all over the world, the known world at that time, from various places have come to Jerusalem for this festival. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the sound, and they come together like, what is this noise we're hearing? And then they begin to hear in their languages these disciple apostles talking about the great works of God. What does this mean? And Peter pulls out Joel chapter 2 and says, I tell you what this means. This is fulfilling prophecy. This is fulfilling scripture. This is what Joel said. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. The spirit was poured out in a new and unique way. Joel had anticipated it. Jesus had promised it. And these disciples and the people around were experiencing it. The tongues of fire on their heads and the, the way that 
the Spirit of God began to move, began to work. What a unique experience they had. The apostles then boldly shared the gospel from that day and beyond. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before the ascension, Luke records this um, at the beginning of the book of Acts, that Jesus had said to the twelve before he was taken in the ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that's what happened. Beginning there in Jerusalem on that day, they began to witness to people who would take that word with them when they departed after Pentecost and plant seeds that would spread out across the Roman world into the mostly, at that point, Jewish people of what we would probably call the Middle East and a bit beyond. But then those disciples apostles would go where they were sent. And Peter would go. And Paul would come along and he would go. And Thomas went. And other disciples went various directions to the ends of the earth, empowered by and inspired by the Spirit of God to go. So the church was born. A song that we'll sing next week will have this lyric in it. The church of Christ was born when the Spirit lit the flame. Listen for that next Sunday. The church was born when the Spirit of God came. Up to this point, a little fledgling group of people huddling in fear for their lives, for their safety. And now two months has gone by, and they're not quite sure how this is going to go, what's going to happen next right? Jesus had been crucified. He came back. This is great. And then, you know, just over a month later, he's gone again. Now what? So a week and a half after that, the sound, the rushing wind, pneuma, the same word, and the, and the filling of the Spirit when the Spirit of God was poured out. We have also received the Spirit. The Spirit of God was poured out in a new and unique way on that Pentecost day 2,000 years ago, nearly. But we have received the Spirit of God because beginning on that day and ever since, the Spirit of God has been at work in His people. The Spirit works. There are things that the Spirit does. And so we can recognize the fingerprints of the Spirit in the world and even in our lives. The Spirit of God has called you. In the Catechism, Luther's concise explanation of what the faith is about that he wrote in the 1500s. For some basic instruction, this is what the faith is. So Luther compiled the Catechism and the, the Creed, he uses the Apostles' Creed, but he unpacks the third article of the Creed, which in the Apostles' Creed is not actually much about what the Spirit does. So Luther expands that and describes the work of the Spirit in this way, that I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him. Right? But, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel 
enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. Even as he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. Those are Luther's words. He calls. He is called to you. In the word, through the sacrament, God calls to you. As we hear the word, read, preached, sung, as we meditate on the word, the spirit of God is working in us to call us, and the spirit of God has also claimed you. In the waters of baptism, the spirit of God claims us, marks us, seals us in him. That's what the spirit does. And the Spirit of God carries you. Luther talks about it as keeps. The Spirit of God keeps us, holds us, guards and protects us, sustains us in our lives, preserves us, nurtures us. This is the work of the Spirit. We have faith. As we've gathered, as we've confessed, as we've proclaimed, we have this faith. Where did it come from? It's the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts that brings us to this place of faith. A recurring theme in the book of Acts, that faith and the Spirit are inseparable. It describes the Holy Spirit fell on them as they heard the Word of God these crowds that would gather, and they would hear the word and the Spirit would fall on them. And this moment as they're coming to faith and the way that it's described, it's just together, like two sides of the same coin, that you don't separate the Spirit of God and and faith in Jesus. Those things are inseparable, in fact. Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The profession of faith is rooted in the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. So faith is evidence that the Spirit has been at work, and faith enables us to trust in God. It's a gift to us. And Luther talks about it that way. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus or come to him. My reason or strength would take me in a different direction, right? My reason would say, I don't know what that's all about. That word of God is oftentimes unreasonable to us. It doesn't make sense that God could speak and it could happen. That the Son of God would be born and lay down his life for us. There's a lot of places where just from a reasonable standpoint, I don't think so. That's why it's called faith. That's why it's called trust and belief. Because we believe it, even though if we just analyze it on paper, if we lined up the pros and the cons and thought all about it, I think most of us would draw the conclusion that that's not possible. The God of the universe would lay down his life for you and me? What? Why? But he did. That's what the Word of God tells us. That's what the Spirit of God enables us to believe is that the God of the universe cares intimately about your life, about my life, about 
every person on the planet. The important people that make the news, (laughs) make big decisions, lead nations, found companies, change the world, and do all of those things, and the people that no one remembers. The people that live long lives and the people that die young and everyone in between has been known by God, has been cared about by God. The all-powerful God of the universe can do all that and we believe that by the Spirit of God working in us. And so we can trust in Him. And we can pray to Him even in groans, Romans 8 says, that are interpreted by the Spirit, understood by the Spirit, brought before God's throne of grace by the Spirit of God in us. And we are sanctified. That's the work of the Spirit too. Brought to a place of holiness. Not that we're holy on our own. Not that we live lives of holiness and never make a mistake. But in God's eyes, In God's sight, we're covered with the robe of righteousness that's a gift of God through Jesus. That comes by faith in Him. It's a gift from the Spirit. So we're brought to this place of holiness, and we work and live in that holiness. That is our active sanctification. And it looks like this. We are inspired for action. I've used that word inspired a couple of times in the message. The, the spire part of inspired is spirit. And we, in our language now, we use that word to mean kind of any idea that we might have, any, any thought that might generate some action. I was inspired, we might say, about a book or a story or a film. It was inspirational, right? Or in certain situations that often personal can act as inspiration for us. And that's how we use the word. In fact, on May 11th, the Washington Post had an article and the headline said this, Jonathan Allen, who's a player for the Washington football team, that his work with Washington's homeless youth is inspired by his own experience. When he was young, he had been in foster care. But that word, the origin of that word, according to Oxford languages, is this. The word was originally used of a divine or supernatural being in the sense to impart a truth or idea to someone. Our inspiration toward faith and toward action comes from the Spirit. The Spirit of God at work in us, enabling us to walk by faith. We walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We trust God with decisions in our lives. Sometimes we'll be facing a major decision, right? The big ones. Relationship decisions, financial decisions, career decisions, things like that. And we might go to God with those things like, God, this is a big one and I want you to help me with this. What we probably often overlook is that God in his spirit is working in us on 
smaller decisions as well. The Spirit of God doesn't wait for an invitation, by the way. Right? The Spirit of God's not standing there like, oh, I wish he would ask me to help him with this. Oh, I've got an idea. It doesn't happen that way. The Spirit of God is at work in us, inspiring us. <laughs> As we walk by faith, as we follow the plan of God in our lives, and sometimes we know it, and a lot of times we probably don't, as we serve Him with joy, and faith works within us. So we walk by faith, step by step, through these lives that we live, walking by faith, inspired, going, guided, enlightened by the Spirit. And we bear fruit. Galatians chapter 5 describes the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So our faith-filled actions is the Spirit of God at work within us. When we exhibit gentleness in a situation, it's the Spirit of God at work within us. When we exercise self-control, it's the Spirit of God at work within us. When we help our neighbors, when we love our families, when we extend that love to other people, when we practice patience, it's the Spirit of God at work within us that enables us to bear fruit that fills us so that we can overflow. Now, there are times when the Spirit's trying to do this work, and we're going around in our lives kind of like this. La, 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 la. And we're not paying attention, or we're getting too busy, or we're getting hung up on different things, and we're neglecting what the Spirit is telling us that we should do, where we should go. The Spirit keeps doing His work. Sometimes we just need to slow down and breathe it in. The Spirit, the breath, the wind, the air. Be filled with the Spirit of God who has been poured into your life so that we can live lives by His leading the more you know. Amen.